Welcome to the podcast of Medora Pentecostal Church. We are a growing community of believers committed to bringing hope and building lives. We pray today's message is a blessing to you. Amen. Let's get our Bibles tonight. We're jumping into lesson number four in our series on hope in the hurt. Hope in the hurt. Praise God. And I'd like to direct your attention to what we have just established as our theme scripture, Hebrews chapter 6 and uh, verse 17. Y'all can go down if you like. Praise God. In the Lord good. Praise God. I am so thankful for his blessings. Aren't you enjoying this weather? Praise God. If you don't like it, Saturday's supposed to be 50, Sunday's supposed to be in the 60s. Hallelujah. Mm -mm -mm. Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 17 wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that we by two immutable things in which it is impossible, impossible for God to lie, we have a strong consolation, a strong encouragement, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. It's anchored in the resurrection. Somebody say, anchored in the resurrection. Praise God. Whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Praise the Lord. Somebody say, God is good. God is good. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the goodness, glory, and grief. Goodness, glory, and and grief. Somebody say that. Goodness, glory, and grief. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. We pray you would help us today. Help us, Lord Jesus, to be uh, sensitive to you and to your spirit. Lord, would you, I pray, speak through us. Let us be instruments, O oh God, of your uh, will. And let the word, Lord Jesus, flow as you would wish. And we serve our gift in your honor, Jesus' mighty name. Let everybody say amen. Praise God. Lord bless you. You can be seated. We often say it, and it is true. God is good. He's a good God. Amen. That is who he is. He is good. When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he has done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah. Praise God for saving me. The psalmist said the Lord is good to all. Psalm 145.9, the Lord is good to all. Mm -mm -mm. That's you. The psalmist also said, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercy endureth forever. Several passages in the psalm is that statement made. The psalmist said, oh, oh how great is thy goodness. Psalm, one, uh, psalm 31 and 19, how great is thy goodness. So, thank the Lord. His word is very clear. These are just a sample that we're going to, uh, be looking at about the goodness of the Lord. So what do we mean when something is good? 
How do we define good? What do we say that something is good? Well, the dictionary says something that is good is something that is desirable, something that's approved of, of good quality. We say a car is good. You can have a bad car, can't you? Anybody besides uh, Sister Gill and I ever had a lemon? Anybody besides us ever had a lemon tree? We had one that was a lemon tree. It produced lemons. I mean, when you're pouring in four quarts of oil every 100 miles, something's wrong. And uh, when you're evangelizing and doing that, something's really wrong. But uh, you could say a car is good. You could say a job is good. You could say a life is good by that definition. Good is also defined as something that is pleasing, something that is welcomed, like good news. We've got some good news. Um, it, it, it good can be uh, defined as something that's is expressing approval, uh, like a product got a good review. Uh, got a good review. If you shopped online on Monday, you may have been one of those that looked for reviews before you go buy. You want to make sure that it gets a good review. Uh, something that is good is something that is skilled at doing or dealing with a specific thing, like someone is good with children. We would say they're skilled at, at handling children. Something that is useful or has an advantage or beneficial in its effect. You can say that a diet is good for you. A certain diet is good for you. That's probably not a good example here at Christmas, but... <clears throat> When we say something good, we say that it has, uh, it's appropriate to a particular use. For instance, uh, this is a, a good month in the spring. is a good time, a good month for planting seed. Something that is good refers then to something that is praiseworthy, something that has a useful or productive nature, a high quality in its nature. Something that is good is either inherently valuable in itself or it has a beneficial effect. It may be even both. So we could say God is praiseworthy, God is useful, God is desirable, God is certainly skillful, but his goodness surpasses the definition that we come to understand by Webster or whatever the case may be. God is good not because he possesses those, those, those particular qualities, but he is good because that is intrinsically who he is. He's good. God is good because he is morally perfect, totally holy, absolutely one in his integrity. God is good. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 16, and behold, one come to him and said, good master, what good thing shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Good master. He asked him this and Jesus responded, why callest thou me good there is none good but one, that is God. So what Jesus is saying is that God sets the standard for goodness, not Webster. God sets the standard for goodness, not Webster. We find that goodness is his character, and he, he acts out of goodness. Psalm 86 and 5, for thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive. He's good, so he forgives. He forgives because he's good. Aren't you thankful for that? His goodness appears in what he does. Psalm 119 and 68. Thou art good and doest good. You are good, Lord, and you do good. So God 
shows his goodness through what he does. God extends his help to the needy. That is his goodness. Nahum 1 and 7. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knoweth them that trusteth in him. God is good in the day of trouble. Anybody know that to be true? We find that God is good because he gives good gifts. James 1 and 17, every good and every perfect gift is from above and cometh from the Father of lights, in whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. God is good. I love the scripture in Jeremiah 31 and 14, and I will satiate the soul of the priest with fatness. Man, that'll preach forever. I'm looking for my fried chicken meal, somebody. Need a turkey dressing for... Praise the Lord. It's okay to bring your pastor a meal every now and then. Just, I'm just saying. I'm just, I'm just saying. Praise God. But then he says, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness. My goodness is going to satisfy people. So God is good. God is good. But how do we understand the revelation of that goodness in our world? Let's, let's look at this in, 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 on your second page there. The goodness of God is revealed. First of all, it's revealed by faith, the revelation of faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Believe that he is. A lot of people are, are saying that they believe, but they don't really have that, that trust. Now, you can say, I believe that that bulletproof vest will stop a bullet. But it's another thing to put it on and put yourself in harm's way and test it out. That's, that's what faith is. It's putting God to the test. The goodness of God must be more than just something that we have as a mental ascent. Okay, God's good. We know God is good. It must be more than a feeling that we have that's connected to his blessings. If I got good blessings, the Lord loads me down with blessings, and I know he's good because he's blessing me. God's good because he's blessing me. But it must be that God is good because I believe that he's good. Because some days he's not going to look, look like he's blessing you. Some days he's going to feel like that he's a thousand miles away. He's still good, not because of the circumstance, but because of faith. Faith. Faith is a resolute conviction that says God is who he says he is. And if he says he is good, faith says, I believe that he is. I believe that. Faith is the fuel of your conviction that stands firm in the hour of, of crisis, in the hour of need, and says, I'm anchored in the revelation of, that God is who he says he is. God is good because he says he's good. By faith, I understand the goodness of the Lord. It is not like the goodness of the world. All the definitions of Webster only apply to, to God in, in, in our concepts of, of looking at things being good as we see good. Positive as we see positive. Feeling good. God's good only when I got money. God's good only when I'm, everything's going good in my world. The fact of the matter is that he said he's good, and he's good by nature, not by condition. We know that faith cometh by hearing and hearing the word of the Lord. So our definition of his goodness comes by revelation of his word through faith. Revelation of his word through faith. 
Let's go to Exodus chapter 33, please. Let's talk about the revelation of his goodness by glory. There was a time that Moses and the children of Israel were going through some serious problems. Judgment had fallen upon them and thousands of them had died. And then Moses begins to search after the Lord. And he says in Exodus chapter 33, he says to the Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Now, when we say glory in church speak, when we say glory of God, there's a lot of people will say that we're talking about something that we feel. We talk about something that is uh, his presence. Uh, but when he's saying the glory of the Lord, he's saying, I want to see your heaviness. I want to see your heaviness. Because the word glory in the Hebrew is a word that talks about the weightiness of God, the weight of God, the honor. When it, it's used in a slang today is that we, we want to talk about somebody that is really uh, uh, qualified or, or somebody that I can remember. I don't know if it's a word now, but we used to say this, man, he's heavy. He is heavy. He's heavy duty. We're not talking about how heavy he is naturally. We're talking about his qualities. And so glory speaks about that. Moses was God's man of destiny. He had a passion to know God. And so throughout his life, he's experiencing major and amazing, miraculous things from the burning bush all the way to the Red Sea crossing. But somewhere in the situation, he says, I want to see your heaviness, Lord. I want to see that which, which is the word glory signifies heavy or weight. He's saying, I want to see the weight that causes you to get honor. The weight of your honor. What is it that makes you you? What is it? And here's what the Lord said in verse 19. He said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Moses asked for the glory of God to be revealed to him. And the Lord said three things. I will make my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And then he said, thou canst not see my face. You can't see the depth of my expression. You cannot see the total weight of my glory. For there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me. And thou shalt stand upon a rock and it shall come to pass while my glory passeth by that I will put thee in the cleft of the rock and I will cover thee with my hand while I pass by and I will take away my hand and thou shalt see my back parts but my face the full expression of who I am and my glory I can't show you because you couldn't stand it but I'm going to give you a little glimpse of my glory and what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you by parading all of my goodness before you. God's glory and his goodness is synonymous. Say that with me. God's glory and his goodness, they are synonymous. Moses requested the glory of the Lord. He wanted to see an expression that God gives him the right to his honor. And so God responds by, I'll parade my goodness before you. So the glory of the Lord is revealed in the goodness of God. So when we start saying, I want to see the glory of the Lord, just look around. Somewhere is the goodness of God revealed. 
A life that is filled with the goodness of the Lord is a life filled with glory. Amen. A home that is filled with the glory of the Lord is a home filled with the goodness of God. A church that has the glory of the Lord has the goodness of God. A community, a world. Amen. The Bible speaks about the whole world is filled with the glory of the Lord. That means that God has his goodness on display. So God is good. God is good. He is so good that he said, I can't show you everything, but I'll show you my back part. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15. Paul wrote to Timothy, which in times past he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto. God's glory, God's awesome power and his presence, we cannot stand it or we would die. So he gives us little glimpses here and there of his goodness that's his glory his goodness is his glory so his glory is revealed in his goodness somebody say amen then he said i will proclaim the name of the lord before you first i'm going to show you my glory then i'm going to proclaim the name of the lord before you by this part is that god's goodness is seen in his name god's goodness is seen in his name. His name expresses not only his glory, but his goodness. In Exodus chapter 34, later on, the Lord begins to, to, to move in Moses, and he says in verse number 5, And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. I don't know what that sounded like, but the word proclaim means to call out. To, to express, to invite. What happens when God speaks his own name? The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God. Yahweh, the Lord Yahweh Elohim. El, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and then I want you to mark this in your, in your uh, book or your mark this in your Bible. Abundant in goodness. Because that's what we're talking about tonight. We could break down mercy. We could take, break down gracious. We could break down long-suffering. That's all he is. and I mean, that's what he is and truth. But I want to focus on abundant in goodness. He proclaimed the name of the Lord. And in the name of the Lord, he saw the abundant Goodness of God, keeping mercy for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sins that will be by no means clear the guilty. Amen. Proclaim the name of the Lord and his abundant goodness. Hesed. Hesed is the, the Hebrew word for abundant goodness. It means his loyal love. His abundant goodness is his loyal love, his unfailing kindness, his unfailing and unwavering devotion, a love or affection that is steadfast based on prior relationships. The Lord is saying, look at me, test me. I'm abundantly good. I'm abundantly good. <clears throat> 
His favor, his mercy, his kindness. The word here, Hasid, has been interpreted in mercies or abundant mercies or steadfast love. Let me hammer a few verses in, in to, to drill this thought in just for a little bit. In, in Micah chapter 7 and verse 18, Who is a God like unto thee? that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. That's that word there that means abundant goodness. God delights in abundant goodness. God's not just good to you. He's not just good to me, but he delights in his goodness. He's not a God standing there with a lightning bolt and a rod and, a, and he's going to come crashing down upon you. He delights in his goodness. Delights in his goodness. Let me give you just a couple of places. This, this word is found in Psalm 86 and 5. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy. There's that word again, abundant goodness. Plenteous, abundant goodness. Plenteous and steadfast love unto them that call upon thee. Then if you flip over to Lamentations. Lamentations is the, is the book that's written about folks that are lamenting. Sad. But listen to this. Lamentations 3 and 22. It is the Lord's mercies. Everybody say abundant goodness. It is the Lord's abundant goodness, his steadfast love that we are not consumed because his passions fail not. Amen. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. I will hope in him because he is abundantly good. He has abundant mercies. He has abundant and steadfast love. Hallelujah. When I try to define God with feeling, when I try to find God's goodness with circumstance, it seems to come up short. But when I understand that's who he is in regard Regardless of what I go through, regardless of what happens in my life, God is abundantly good. He's good. He's good. In verse 26 of that same passage, it says, It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. So his goodness is revealed in his name. Then his goodness to Moses he said, I'm going to pray my goodness before you by showing, I'm going to pray my glory before you by showing my goodness. And then he says, I'm going to show you my name. I'm going to show you my, my character. Then he says, I want to show you my will. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy upon whom I will show mercy. The goodness of God is revealed in his sovereignty. A lot of people want a grand destiny without any kind of difficulty. I want a grand, I want the Lord to bless me. I want him to heal me, but I don't want to be sick. I want a miracle, but I don't want a problem. I want to know him as a wonder worker, but don't let me go through a struggle. I want to know his love, but I don't want to know what it is to hurt. Amen? Humanity, like water, wants to follow the path of least resistance. And we need to be careful to say, okay, Lord, you show the way. I will be 
merciful to whom I will merciful be merciful. I'll show, amen, my hand. And So your neighbor gets blessed more than you and smokes three packs of cigarettes a day. Let God be God. Amen. Let God be God. Look at this. Daniel 4, 35. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand as say unto him, What doest thou? For a, a, a more uh, in-depth discussion about sovereignty, go back to the lesson on sovereignty, sorrow and sovereignty in our series and get that. But... He has a sovereign will. Look what Jesus said. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, said in Matthew 26 and 39, Oh, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thy will. Jesus' will was to do the will of the Father to show us how we're supposed to be in this world as the sons of daughters of God. Whatever you will, that's what I want, Lord. Whatever you want, that's what I want. We're to pray after this matter, Matthew 6. We're to pray after this matter. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in my life as it is in heaven. Whatever you want in heaven for me, that's what I want. Whatever you want for me and my family, that's what I want. Whatever you want for my church, Lord, that's what I want. Hallelujah. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. God has a plan. Amen. And we need to be willing to follow that, his will, his desire. Amen. That, that will is uh, expressed in Matthew 6 and 33 where he said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Seek first the kingdom. Amen. Does not simply imply searching for something that is hidden, but it speaks about the effort and desire and the passion towards him. Got a passion towards him. Amen. Then I'd like to go. When we wrap up this part, I would like to go to a passage of Scripture that sometimes we quote, but we don't stop to really look closely at it. And that's Romans 8, 28. How many of you know, love, love, I love that passage. You love that? Praise God. Somebody quote it for me. Praise God. You can read on the screen. Hallelujah. Somebody close their eyes and quote it for me. <laughs> And we know, let's say it together, and we know that all things work together for good. Them that love God and are the called according to his purpose. All right, now go back to the beginning. Let's not define that good by Webster. Let's define it by God. Because sometimes what God says is good don't feel like good. Doesn't appear good. There's a lot of people that look at the commandments of the Lord and say, mm, man, the commandments of the Lord are tough. But if the Lord said, my commandments are not grievous. But sometimes the commandment in following the will of the Lord doesn't look good. Like, Lord, you want me to do what? You want me to be what? You want me to get rid of this? You want me to take on that? You want me to have this spirit and that attitude? Oh, but he says all things work together for his kind of good. For his kind of good means that his end, he knows. He knows how to work it out. Amen.
Let's go to number three. Let's talk about the paradox that I see. The paradox. We, we talk about the goodness of the Lord and the blessings of the Lord, and we, we have tried our best to lay that down. But there's a paradox here that's associated with the suffering and the promise of God. How do I rectify the pain of my issue and the promise of God? Because they don't look like that they jihaw. Am I, anybody else besides me ever felt that? Difficulty arises when life presents to us deep suffering that doesn't seem to match up with the goodness of God. My understanding, what I'm trying to see is God's goodness. This doesn't look like that. In a, a book called A Grief Observed, C.S. Lewis wrote a book about the loss of his wife. And it is such an unvarnished look at suffering and grief that when he wrote it, he wrote it with a pseudonym, N.W. Clerk, in 1961. And then after he died, they republished it under his own name. But listen to what he, he, he laments. Quote, When you are happy, he says, so happy that you have no sense of needing him, so happy that you are tempted to feel his claims upon you as an interruption. If you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate and when other help is vain. And what do you find? And he says this, a door slammed in your face, the sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside. This is a man that's being real with his grief. Real with the fact that, like, when everything's going good, man, you go to church and woohoo, hallelujah, we're going to shout. And the Lord feels like I can just say a, a, a word and he's there. But in the moment of my grief, in the moment of my pain, it feels like God is a million miles away. Was it not what Job said? I looked left and right and couldn't find him. Looking front and back, I couldn't find him. He's a man that is dealing with great grief. What is he, what's he going to do that looks like a paradox to me? It looks like that, 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 that it doesn't match with all this goodness of God, and then I am here suffering. Is God good? What, what do we do with this? I think we have to be real with ourselves and with God, but we also have to go back to the Word and say, Regardless of my circumstances, regardless of how deep and painful and awful and rough everything may be right now, God's still good. Because it's not based on my circumstance, it's based on his word. It's based on what he said. He said he was good, and he said that all things work together for good. His good, not my good, not about my feelings. Not a, and sometimes, though, it may seem like the heavens are brass, and I pray and the heavens are brass. I still go back to the fact that God is good, and I don't see it all working out now, but I remember what Peter said in 1 Peter 4 and 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. 
He said, beloved, he's talking to believers here. He's talking about people of faith. Uh, amen. Believers, you, you have a pain. You might have to be put in your destiny, your destiny, but don't think it's strange. Paul said it, something similar in 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 3. Let no man, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. For yourself know that we are appointed thereunto. For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it come to pass, you know. I want to stop and say this. There's something that's always baffled me. I think our American uh, prosperity sometimes has made our approach to Scripture kind of off. Because we have preached about tribulation, and there are those that, and, 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 and I want to be careful because I, I don't want to bust anybody's bubble about whether you're going through the tribulation, not going through the tribulation, going mid-trib, post-trib, before-trib, three-quarter trib, 33.3% trib. Go to China. Go to some of these other nations where they are suffering in prison and they're suffering persecution for the cause of Christ. Go to Sudan. Go to some of these places where they're, they're being beaten and abused for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ask them if they think they're going through the tribulation. There are things that happen to us that we go through that we're, we're, we're it's afflictions, it's trials. The psalmist said, after I went through my affliction, I come to know the word of the Lord. After I went through my affliction, I come to know the word of the Lord. But sometimes it's hard to balance out that paradox. So what do we do? How do we deal with that paradox? Okay, I'm glad you asked. We start looking for the glory around the grief. God will never, and his word is completely clear about this, God will never send you through something without having glory somewhere around it. He's going to show you some glory in there. Joseph was prophetically destined for a position of distinguished leadership. In his youth, he wore a multicolored coat that marked him as the future leader of his family. Now, Jacob, you could have waited because you made his other brothers despise this dude before he ever had a word come out of his mouth. Everybody said, we know whose daddy's favorite is. Y'all don't have that in your families, do you? Knowing whose favorite is favorite, you know. But Jacob was very clear about putting that upon him. But not only that, Joseph had a destiny that was connected to the wonderful and splendid dreams that he had. Dreams and visions of leadership, dreams of blessing, dreams of prosperity, dreams of acceptance of his brothers bowing down to him. His brothers bowing down to him. And, and, and oh, Joe didn't have the wisdom necessarily to keep his mouth shut. Maybe he learned that from his dad. I don't know. But he could have just been quiet. But he went and told his brothers. He said, one day y'all going to bow down to me. I'm going to lead all of you. I'm going to lead all of you. They mocked his vision. They mocked his dream. And then they demolished his coat. And then they told his father, Joe died. 
Remove your coat, Joe. Remove your dream. Remove your, we're going to throw you into the blackness and the murky bottom of a pit of solitude where your dream will die. We're going to sell you into slavery where your dreams are going to die. We'll see if that's true. Look at Psalm chapter 105. Psalm 105 and verse 17. It speaks about this story. He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant. Sold for a servant. Whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron. Come on, color coat Joe. Come on, buddy. You're in iron now. It says, until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. The king sent and loosed him, even the ruler of the people, and let him go free. We find that Joseph was sold to Potiphar, the captain of the guards, and then he was sent to prison for a crime he didn't commit. Amen. But if I want to tell you something that excites me is that in all of this, Joe's life is unraveling. He is being persecuted. He is unjustly imprisoned. But we find in Genesis 39 and 2, and the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord was with Joseph. All that he was going through, the pain and the suffering, false accusation, the hurt, the, 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 the grief that he had, the, the, the thinking, I'll never see dad again. I'll never see Benjamin again. I'll never, every dream that I had is dying. But the Bible said the Lord was with Joseph. <coughs> Let me go back to Psalms with you. Let's pick up Psalm 66 and then we'll go to Psalms 105. Psalm 66 and verse 9. Which withholdeth, which holdeth our soul in life as suffer not our foot to be moved. For our God has proved us. Thou hast tried us as silver is tried. Thou brought us into the net. Thou latest affliction upon our loins. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through the fire and through water, but thou brought us out into a wealthy place. He said, I will go into thy house with burnt offerings. I will pay thee my vows. Lord, you brought me through this. Amen. You tested me. You tried me, and I'm going to come through this. I'm going to find some glory around my grief. Psalm 105 and 16. The Bible, let's pick up that reading again about Joseph. Moreover, he called for a famine upon the land. He broke the whole staff of bread. He sent, speaking of God, sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant. Hallelujah. And then if you look at verse 19, it says, until the time that his word came. Until the time that his word came. One day, Job became second in command to all of Egypt, or all of Egypt, as, as Pharaoh's second in command. He had the weight of the Egyptian government and authority in his hand. And the famine comes, and his brothers show up. Joe didn't have, Joseph didn't have the Holy Ghost. There's a lot of people with the Holy Ghost would have used that ring. Just put them all down. Just kill them all. But when they come in, Joseph was so moved. Now they didn't recognize him. Now they couldn't see. He's wearing a coat now that's pretty powerful. But they think him to be an Egyptian. But finally he sends everybody out. 
And in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 19, Joseph says to his brothers, Fear not, fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good. All those years, all those days in the prison, all those days in the pit, the days his feet in irons, his, his world in total pain and grief, and he's thinking, no doubt, where's God? But something that Joseph did, he still held on to his faith. He still kept believing, uh, even though he hurt, uh, even though he was sad, even though he felt alone, uh, even though that there was no way that it looked like he was coming out on top. Uh, he said, in the revelation of it all, he said, you meant it for evil. You thought evil against me. In, in my Bible, that word but is italicized. Amen. It's as if this is two stories being told here. <clears throat> not even connected. It's like Joseph is not even connecting the two. He said, you thought evil. God meant it good. You thought evil. God meant it good. Is that while you were doing your deeds and while this was happening to me, God had a plan to reveal his glory. That's what good means. God's glory is around somewhere if you'll look for it. <clears throat> Let me read one more verse of Scripture. Just a few verses here to tie this all up. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I've seen some things. I've encountered some deep things with God. That's what he's saying. He said, I knew a man. He's speaking of himself here. I knew a man in Christ about, about 14 years ago, whether in the body, I cannot tell. Whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knows. He said, I, was, I, was, I don't know if I was here, there, whatever. Such as one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such one will I glory, yet myself I will not glory, but in my infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, Paul is saying, I'm, I'm asking God for this infirmity to leave me. I'm asking God for it to be gone. And the Lord's response was, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, most gladly, therefore. Will I rather glory in my infirmities? Now, now, when you look at the word infirmity there, what do you think of? Do you think of sickness? 
But when you define that in the Greek, it literally means weakness. Weakness. How many of you deal with weaknesses in your life? Things that you wish, man, I just wish I didn't have that. I wish I wasn't that way. I, I, have, I really want to be like this, and I, but we've got a weakness. Paul said, I had rather glory in my weakness that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my weakness, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, when I am in grief... I'm finding glory somewhere. When I am in grief, when I'm in pain, I am finding the goodness of the Lord. If I look around, I'm still going to believe that he is good. Hallelujah. He said, I am become a fool in glory. Ye have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you, for in nothing am I behind the very chiefest of possible, though I be nothing. He said, I've been to the third heaven, and I've been to the thorn patch. God's still good. I've been in the greatest of revivals and I've seen the Lord move and I've been to the lowest of places. And he said, I'd rather glory in my infirmities because in my weakness, I can see the power of Christ coming upon me. No wonder the apostle could say, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Stand with me, please. If all I see is my grief, I may miss the glory. But if I allow, allow the Lord in my life, as Joseph did, going through the process, going through the pain, going through the struggles, going through the issues, until one day he said, you thought it evil. God meant it for good. And I know that all things work together for good. The devil is a sly fox, and he comes and he sometimes brings to us temptations and pains. But let me tell you something that the Bible says. The Lord said that he will with the temptation. I wish I had that in my notes so I could read it verbatim. Somebody may need to find it for me. He said, there's no temptation taking you which is subject to man, but the Lord will with the temptation. Make a way of escape for you. So what does that mean? Is that even in the darkest and most dreary times in your life, God can take that and turn it around. And what was meant to crush you and kill you is really meant your escape route. It's your deliverance. It's your victory. It's the glory of God. It's the goodness of God. Oh, it should have been crushed. I should have died. I should have, I should have given up a long time ago. But God's goodness is a way of escape. Let's love him right now. Let's lift up our voice right here. Let's praise the Lord in this place. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Yes, there is grief. But if you look around, you'll see the glory and goodness of the Lord. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming around you. Amen. It may not be happening in your circumstance right now, but have your vision to look beyond. Still be like Joseph and dream even when things are chaotic. Uh, keep believing. Keep trusting. Uh, hallelujah. Oh, the goodness of the Lord. Oh, the goodness of the Lord. Oh, the goodness of the Lord today. Hallelujah. 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 Lord, I praise you. Lord, I praise you. Lord, I bless you. Let's lift our hands and love the Lord here. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm going to make it. I'm going to be okay. His goodness, his mercies are abundant. They're everlasting. His steadfast love never gives up on me, never gives up on me. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Lord, for that today. Praise be to God. Thank you for joining us today. We pray you have been encouraged. If you would like more information about Medora Pentecostal Church, you can check out our website at www.medorachurch.com. Set